PodRocket is sponsored by LogRocket, a front-end monitoring and product analytics solution. Just to say it's not really sponsored by anyone, it's sponsored by us, LogRocket, and we're giving it away for free. The podcast is free, the product is not free. There's a free trial, we could split hairs about whether or not that's free to you, but anyway, that's it. There are no more ads. If you're interested and you want us to know that you came from the podcast, please go to logrocket.com slash podrocket. If you don't care, logrocket.com works just fine. Thanks. Hi, and welcome to PodRocket. Today, Ben and Kate interview David Price, core member of Redwood.js and developer in residence at Preston Warner Ventures. They talked about what it means to be full stack jam stack, which is a thing, how Redwood.js gives you your time back, and what it takes to create a highly collaborative open source community. Let's get started. Well, hey, David, how are you doing today? I am good. It is good to be here. You're kicking off this podcast, correct? And, and kicking it off with me or somewhere at the beginning? I'm excited. Yeah, no, you're, you're one of the first, one of the guinea pigs. So we appreciate you're doing this with us and happy to have you. And I want to jump right in and talk about Redwood. Maybe for our audience who may not be familiar with Redwood, could you give like a brief introduction of, of what it is and why you should use it? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Excited to talk about Redwood and, and all kinds of things. And we're going to talk about LogRocket too, if you don't mind, because you know I've got questions. But Redwood is a newer, It's it's been around for about a year now. Actually, it'll be a year in March. It's a full stack, jam stack framework. And I can explain how we're using some marketing terms there, but what that means. And it's ready to deploy to the edge. So that means it actually has built-in serverless support. And Redwood is using tools you know very well. So it's using GraphQL in the back end. It's got an API. We're using Apollo. And in the front end, well, you can use Apollo, but you can swap out and use other GraphQL providers in the front. And we've got React. Uh, Another thing, the MVP of last year for sure is Prisma 2. And that allows us to do some really nice things with database control. So database access, managing your migrations, et cetera. But yeah, so full stack Jamstack framework is one way to say it that's edge ready to deploy. Full stack Jamstack. That, can you say that 10 times fast? <laughs> no, no, I can't. And I actually don't know how long that term will be around because honestly, when we use the term full stack Jamstack, a lot of people naturally, there was, there's a little bit of revolt because wait, how could it be Jamstack and full stack at the same time? And we really wanted to capture the idea of a methodology that happens around Jamstack, which is really, it feels simple for a developer. And I just push my thing to a repo, and then it deploys to the world. And that's the feeling we wanted to create around Redwood. But there's a lot of methodology and also the infrastructure of Jamstack that we leverage as well. And full stack just means, hey, this thing has an API heavily integrated built into the framework itself. But I can't say full stack Jamstack 10 times. (laughs) Too hard. For like the, the hosting and serverless aspect, like do you support a variety of different serverless platforms or is there one that typically users go with? Yeah, I'm not sure what the specific stats are, but I can say that we, well, let me tell you about some of the people that are that are part of Redwood because Redwood has been around in development and really early idea stage for two years now. And Tom Preston Warner, who people may know because he was a co-founder at GitHub, he also created Jekyll, which was one of the most well-known and early on static site generators, which eventually Mm -hmm. became GitHub Pages, right? So Tom has some experience here. And Tom's done several other things as well in the open source world. And he was working with Peter Pistorius, and they were working at another startup Tom co-founded called Chatterbug. 
And Chatterbook's actually great if you haven't heard of it. It's mm-hmm. a language learning, like a, kind of a full suite of tools. But they're working together at Chatterbug and came to it with uh, Ruby on Rails was going to be the framework they were using. Really wanted to do all the cool things with the UI you can do with React and found there was just a lot of pain points there. So they started dreaming up this, hey, w- what if we took the best of all these worlds and created a framework to do it? And also Tom had met the Netlify founders, Chris and Matt. So this is way back when. And Tom has always had this dream of a universal deployment machine. So those are his words, and I love to borrow them, (laughs) and other people are welcome to as well, where I want to build my application, and I would like that to be enjoyable, and I would like to push my application somewhere. I would like to hit a little button in my command line and say it's ready, right? So push to GitHub, for example. And then I just want somebody else to take care of all the other things, right? I just want to deploy. And I want, I want the other things on the end of that deployment to be smart enough to know what to do with it when it comes to you know, global support and CDNs. And so serverless and CDNs and the things that Chris and Matt wanted to do, Netlify, were really exciting for Tom. And so there's a relationship there. So Redwood was actually always built with the Netlify crew in the loop. And that allowed us to experiment really early on. Prisma came along. And they were doing some really exciting things on the database level that, that allowed you to use it in that jam stacky. See, now I'm just making up words. <laughs> that jam stacky kind of way and give that feeling of just, hey, I want to push this to my repo and it's going to deploy. So the first deployment target that Redwood supported out of the box at the release of March 11th, 2020, pre-pandemic, by the way, like we, we nailed it. We got that thing right in at the buzzer and then came COVID, uh, which coincidentally made people pretty available to hang out online and talk about Redwood, but that's another story. We started with Netlify. Uh, we added Vercel support, and now we currently have AWS serverless direct support as well. And effectively, it boils down to this. If you want to go serverless, you need a global CDN and some kind of serverless architecture to support things like Google Cloud Run, which is coming, which is a containerized version of Lambdas, then we mm-hmm. needed to be able to have more of like an express server. And so you can now run Redwood in a classic server sense, right? So run it inside of a container, for example, so it's persistent. It does not have to be, so we call that server full hosting because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> more words we wanted to make up. And that's, that's <laughs> possible as well. And I actually know a lot of people that have deployed Redwood that way. So we made it really important that when we started, Redwood would not be any lock-in. If the idea is for people to be able to deploy anywhere, they're going to need to be able to deploy the way they want to. So we'll have some, we'll see some hybrid solutions coming up soon as well, where there's parts of Redwood that are running serverless and others that are persistent. And so you mentioned Redwood, it builds or includes React, GraphQL, Apollo, Prisma, and we actually recently had Nicholas Burke from the Prisma team on the show. So we, we got to talk oh, a lot and learn a lot about like Prisma, which was awesome. <laughs> Man, it's a good product and they are good people. So hats off to them. We've really enjoyed working with them. Yeah, no, it's super exciting to learn about what they're up to. And I'm you know trying to wrap my head around Redwood. Like what is the unique aspects of Redwood or where is the glue between these tools, you know, uh, React, GraphQL, Prisma, et cetera? Like what is the core of Redwood? Yeah, sure. Well, let me talk a little bit of philosophy to start with. And the first thing is, this is actually kind of contentious in the world of JavaScript, but JavaScript development should not be painful. Just just take a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to like absorb yeah. that for a second. 
<laughs> what if? Let me turn that into a question. What if JavaScript development was not painful? Right. So there's just a thing we put up with. Well, well, first off, do you agree? Actually, maybe here's a better question. On a scale of one to ten, and ten being like you could take the iron spikes of JavaScript in your body. Like, what is your personal pain threshold for, for JavaScript before you're like, oh, this is too much, right? I mean, mine was around a seven, zero to 10. Yeah, I'd say React alone, just such a huge step forward for building web apps. So I, I feel like at the point where React and ES6 became the norm, we took such a big step forward in ease of development of web applications. So I'd say maybe I'm closer to a five, even with those base level of technologies. And then in the past few years, you know, maybe that, that happened, I don't know, four or five years ago. And there's been so many new tools that have come out in the past few years. But one of the pain points is the fact that there's been so many new tools that have come out in the past right. few years. And it's hard to know what to use. It's hard to know what is going to be here for the long haul or what's going to disappear in a year and then leave you without support. So oh, I think that's one of the biggest pain points is just like keeping up with everything and, and knowing what tools are safe to use or what might be deprecated in a year. Yeah. Okay. So all those things, right? So here's the trap. You spin up, create React app. This is magic. This is working so great. Okay. Now I need to tweak Babel or, or wait. Okay. Webpack. I need to do some stuff with Webpack. Oh, yep. I do need to talk to data. Which client for GraphQL should I use? And you run into just doing the config, which is hard. And then you run into this just overwhelming sense, especially if you are new, overwhelming amount of options that you could have, and you don't really know how to evaluate them all. So we've had this wonderful explosion in the ecosystem of potential solutions. We've had this wonderful explosion of the ability to integrate those pieces together. And all of that has made it really challenging to do both. Make a choice and then integrate it all together. And in the meantime, there's been some resolution around some solutions that are working, right? React works really well. And it's not the only one, but React works really well and there's great tooling around it, et cetera. So one of the things that Redwood really wanted to do, and this is a really long way of getting around to the answer of, here's, here's the catch 22. I'm telling you that there's too many tools in the JavaScript ecosystem that's causing pain. And I'm also telling you, we created a new tool that's going to make everything better, right? So uh, admittedly- <laughs> I'm sure you've seen the XKCD <laughs> comic about, uh, we have all these competing standards. We need one universal standard. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah <laughs> well, the, we've the quote, we've yeah. shared that. That has been shared on our Slack. And so we, we get it. We point the fingers at ourselves. And in one sense, that's what's fun about development is the opportunity to create some things new. So that's always going to happen. I think it's a sign of a healthy ecosystem. But you hit this maturity point where it's like, oh, the, the individual pieces are good enough. I don't know if we need to explore specifically anymore. And the gains, like every time it feels really incremental. It's not kind of these radical changes, it's incremental. And what we realized we needed was a well-integrated framework that took those pieces and made them play really nice together so that all the baseline config you needed out of the box was handled. So it was, it was hidden. It was in the packages for the framework. You could override them when you needed to. So it would be extensible, but all the hard things to do that make it challenging to get up and get running are just done. That's the approach we took. So React, GraphQL, and Prisma. And then also, I think another thing that's important about Red, when we can talk more about is it had a dream of a, an experience, a developer experience you would have using this, that it would actually be pleasurable to use that. You might just enjoy getting to do all the business app product logic things and not have to worry about other stuff. So there really was a dream of a developer experience. And I can talk about what influenced that and how we built that. 
So we started with a tutorial. It, we had a tutorial-driven development for that vision of what we wanted it to be like, feel like, look like, including code. And then we integrated and did the configuration and added in the missing pieces so that you could have that kind of experience. So we did some things to make it work really well at Prisma using command line tools. And we built a workflow to work with your database so that it felt really natural. It felt like you had superpowers, especially if you'd never worked with an API and database before. We did the same just back into front end. So the GraphQL API really well integrated and it just worked. And we did some really magical things around data loading on the front end with React. So go to our website, redwoodjs.com and check out cells. It's on the homepage, but look at the concept for cells. It's in React speak, it's a higher order component, but all you need to know is that it's one thing, it's one component, it queries, it gets the data, and it handles all the states you might need for a component. It handles the error, it handles success, it handles loading, and everything in between, all in one component. And then you can use that component wherever you want within the levels or layers of rendering. And that's, that's a cell. So we could only pull off a cell because everything else was really well integrated in the stack. So that's, that's how we did it. We needed these things to not just be a part of the framework, but really play nice within a vision of how that flow would work. Yeah, that's super helpful. And it's a bit hard to kind of talk about code sometimes on the podcast, just it's too sure. abstract without actually seeing it. Sure. But I think definitely that makes sense at a high level. And I'd be curious to hear a bit more about the CLI you mentioned. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can kind of use the CLI to quickly scaffold an app and um, save some of the time of writing lots of boilerplate files and functions. Yeah. So one of the visions around the developer experience, this is also where the Ruby on like this is a Rails for JavaScript, for example, that's, that's where that comes in. And that, what that does not mean is that we have done a one-to-one -one clone of Ruby on Rails in Redwood JS. That is not true. But there are things about using Rails that are really nice and make it a real pleasure to use. And that was what we were going for. So to really be specific, we wanted to make sure that when you fired up a Redwood app and you kind of did the things we wanted you to do, and we'll talk about our tutorial here in, in a minute, that you had a golden path that would just lead you in the right direction, right? So you would have to try really hard to get outside that golden path to do things differently. It's just by conventions, you would just kind of go with the flow and things would work. And we wanted that experience. And then also this idea of command line generators and really using a CLI command. So Redwood has its own CLI to just get up and running really quickly. So we have these command line generators. So if you're at your command line, you've spun up a Redwood app, you would run yarn, Redwood, generate page. And you could give the page a name, but it creates everything in the framework you need to have a homepage, for example, or an about page. And it gives you all that boilerplate code, which is really nice running that generator shows you, if you look at the code, how Redwood integrates together. This is where it feels just magic, right? So when you integrate well and you have a very low tolerance for pain, you can do things <laughs> like, okay, you go into your, your, for people that are afraid of database, I promise this is very painless. There is a prisma.schema file, and that's where you tell Prisma what you want your database structure to be, your tables. And so you're modeling your database and there's a Prisma syntax for that, which is really nice. You create a model, which effectively becomes a table in your database, and you just you just tell it what you want there. It's going to be an author of a blog post, for example. So you want to have a name, maybe first name, last name. You would want to have date created, unique ID, and that's it. You just need a few fields. And then with the command line, you would say, yarn redwood, generate 
scaffold, whatever the name, let's say it's author, and you have all the CRUD, so front-end components you need to create, delete, update that author. You can create authors now. You get all the UI you need, and it talks directly to your database with one command at the CLI. Boom, it's all up and running. And that's where people do that for the first time, and they go, okay, that's pretty sweet. Like all the React components I didn't have to create and all the database and like, it's just done in one command. Plus, because this is a part of long-term maintainability, that's another thing we're going to achieve. You get just test files, you get storybook files along with running a generator because it turns out like everybody tells you to do tests, but you know, what's hard setting up tests and integrating <laughs> tests. It took us over six months to get Jest to run across our API and web client. It was hard, but now you go through our tutorial online, you get to the end of it and you can spin up all your Jest tests. You could see that the boilerplate ones you get all pass. Some of them have instructions about how to improve those boilerplate tests, but you get mock files. You can mock your API in your database data, and you can do the same for Storybook. And all of that happens at the command line, right? So that's what we mean by like, wouldn't it be nice if we just had Storybook working? Wouldn't it be nice if we just had unit tests? And then a lot of people don't ever do those things because if you're a sole proprietor shop, just you building an app, you just don't have time. But with Redwood, we give you your time back. (laughs) (laughs) So that was was a lot of things, but I'm excited because... It's really fun and getting to demo these things to people and just watch them go like, oh, we had someone who was one of the the founders that started Storybook and we showed him how like cells, so all of our data loading with our React component works with Storybook. And so you can actually use Storybook, fire it up, and it's already mocked out and shows you all those states of your cell component. He was like, I've never seen that before. And that's one of the guys that created Storybook, right? So, was that uh, Zoltan or or Tom? No, that was uh, Arnoda. Okay, yeah, we had. I was yeah. gonna say we had Zoltan on the podcast, and he's from uh, Chroma, and they work on Storybook. Yeah, but- he was one of the early authors of Next.js as well. So, okay, he's wonderful. He would actually be a great addition to the podcast. So, and would love to make an introduction. So, if he's yeah. listening right now, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening right now. I met him recently, but I knew him from the Meteor JS days. So that feels like 40 years ago that Meteor JS, but that was, there was a wonderful community of people that got their start with the Meteor JS community early on. It's funny. I was just telling Ben that I don't think we've gone a single podcast episode without talking about Meteor. <laughs> right. They really kicked off some things and, and everybody's wanted that experience. And also we've still trying to figure out what happened to Meteor. It's still a great tool, but like it was a rocket ship and then it kind of stalled. Right. I was like, why? <laughs> what happened? What can anyway? Yeah. They were so ahead of their time on so many of these ideas and really kind of foresaw the modern single page, full stack, jam stack, whatever you want to call it. Like they had built so much of this, but um, yeah, I'm not sure what happened over the past few years. I guess maybe with the rise of React and kind of best of breed tools for every part of the tool chain the idea of using an all-in-one framework, it was just impossible for them to keep up with the speed of development of all these individual tools. So I I like that with Redwood, you're kind of leveraging Prisma, React, and GraphQL and all the best-of-breed individual tools and just building the glue and some of the developer tooling to speed up the overall process. Yeah, with the intention that people can swap things out if they need to. We don't want to have lock-in. 
But that comes down the road. We don't want you to have to think about, hey, which GraphQL client should I use to start out? Because that's a long process. And as long as you can make the change down the road when you need to, we'll start you off with a good one. Then that's okay. And the same with all those things. They need to be swappable, but not to start. To start, you need to be able to get in and feel comfortable, which, by the way, would be a great place for me to say another thing we did really well and not me. So I say we a lot. And there's a core team. There were, there were four of us. So I mentioned Tom and Peter, Rob Cameron, who's been a Rails developer for a long time. So expert in Rails. And so his pain threshold was really low and he influenced a <laughs> lot of the Rails feel. And he wrote our tutorials. And then myself, and that was the first four on the core team. And our core team is now 12 people, men and women from all over the world, which is really fun. And by the way, we want anyone and everyone who wants to be a part of our community at some level contributors and becoming a core team, we, we want to make that happen. So we could talk more about that, but I'm a person who loves helping people become a part of a core team. So reach me on that. But Rob created a tutorial, getting back to my point, that was as important as the code. So if you go to redwoodjs.com, the place to start is the Redwood tutorial. And we just launched the tutorial part two. Redwood's Revenge, because every tutorial part two clearly needs a good subtitle. So Redwood tutorial part two, Redwood's Revenge, covers that missing pieces of the DX that is going to be a part of the Redwood version one release. And we're expecting that to come out in the next uh, two to three months. But we just realized we hadn't quite gone through in the first tutorial, first part one, we hadn't really taken people through the full experience of Redwood. You got to create an app. You understood the tools, the command line. There's also an IDE for Redwood that's really helpful. So we've really focused on tooling. You got to see how Redwood integrates, experience a full stack front end to back, and experience the tools and learn how those things go. But then it didn't take you into Storybook. Some advanced things you can do with the database in Prisma. And that's what happens in the tutorial part two. You're in zero dot currently, but as you mentioned, you're launching 1.0. Like what's missing today that you have to ship before you're ready to hit that 1.0 and call it production ready? Yeah. Uh, courage is probably one of those things. <laughs> you know? yeah. I've lived a lot of years uh, shipping products and oh man, it is amazing how you start to get toward any milestone and emotionally you just want more. You want to make it better. You want to make it perfect. Your vision expands in a really beautiful way. So we wrote the tutorial part two to actually limit that scope a little bit and say, okay, mm. we used a tutorial to start this. Let's take our own medicine and let's, let's write the second part of the tutorial and then, and then back into it. So what you'll find that was missing is we hadn't finished our Jess suite. That is done. There are some integration things and some things around the GraphQL client we wanted to finish and that is done. But there's some really cool things coming up, one of them being pre-render. So we have had a lot of conversations internally about Redwood at scale. And there's so much conversation happening right now around, and honestly, it all kind of boils down to like, what's your lighthouse score? You want to see mine? It's all 100s. And <laughs> helpful to an extent. But the bigger question is, how do you scale your application in a way that fits all this kind of the serverless dream or the Jamstack dream? It has to do a lot with caching. And we've had some extensive conversations over months of where we want Redwood to be able to go for all the things it means when you need to scale. And it's not just, surprise, incremental rendering, right? It's not just server-side rendering. It's not just rendering at build time. It's all those things on a little bit more. And then for a developer to be able to control those things with code. 
So that's where we want to go someday, but we're starting with pre-render because you do want to have high-performant pages when you have data loading or marketing pages. You want to be able to render those at build time and that the PR is open now and it's amazing. Danny's been crushing on that one. So go check and you could actually chime in if there's other things you want to see, but Redwood pre-render will be included. Full TypeScript support is another thing that's coming. Because Redwood started about two years ago, believe it or not, two years ago, TypeScript was not in the full hype that it is now. <laughs> and I, I love consuming TypeScript. Don't get me wrong. I really don't like writing TypeScript. Maybe that's, again, because of the time I started developing, but we're going to have full front to back end TypeScript support. So for the app specifically, but you'd be able to start your Redwood app, which is yarn create redwood app, and then the name of the directory you want to put it in, and it will default to TypeScript. So your new installation of Redwood, everything would be in TypeScript, or you could start with the JavaScript installation. Those are two major ones. We have some things we're going to do around securing GraphQL endpoints, just because that's always interesting and gets even more interesting when it comes to serverless functions and running GraphQL API on serverless. So we'll be securing your endpoints those are the highlights off the top of my head. We have a whole roadmap. If you go to GitHub and look at the Redwood JS project in our project boards and on our website as well, there's a roadmap that talks through everything we're trying to hit by version one. And we're at a really good place. So that'll be coming really quite soon. But pre-render and TypeScript support, those will be the things that a lot of people get really excited about when they come out in V1. Yeah, no, and the TypeScript is particularly exciting. When we spoke to um, Nicholas from Prisma, we talked a lot about how nicely Prisma, TypeScript, and GraphQL work together to give the end-to-end type safety and stuff like that. So I'm sure that'll be big for Redwood developers. Yes, absolutely. And I'm curious, like, you know, Prisma, they're like a commercial entity, venture-backed. Like, what are the long-term plans for Redwood in terms of, like, I'm not sure, like, are you guys a nonprofit currently, or is the goal to build a company around Redwood? Yeah, I, I don't know. We are a Tom-sponsored project at this point in time. So Tom has been a family friend. I first met Tom at a climbing gym in San Francisco. When I moved there with my young family, we have children the same age. We live five blocks away from each other, which isn't that kind of the way things work. There's a lot of serendipity <laughs> and just being friends. So Tom and I have had a lot of beers and a lot of pizza at a wonderful little neighborhood spot over a lot of years in San Francisco. And that's where we talked about all these kind of things. And there was an exit that happened with GitHub. It got purchased by this large entity. <laughs> and Tom has some resources that he wants to deploy to the world of open source. He is passionate about open source. He is passionate about open source communities, which let's make sure we talk about that before we go, because man, we are putting so much intention and effort in creating the best open source community possible. And I spend 80% of my days just on the community side of things. But that's what Tom wanted to do. He wanted to create something that didn't exist, that was open source, that also was a leverage point for an amazing community to take hold and form and grow and scale over time. So that's what we've done. But there are startups on Redwood now. There are funded startups on Redwood. There are people who are getting hired as Redwood developers. And that's also a place where we can support. Tom has invested in some of those. And uh, we brought some startups in that Tom had invested in the Redwood ecosystem to help out. So those are some perhaps business opportunities there. But right now, there's no plans to turn it into a commercial product. 
you know, we don't know what that might be. We take ideas. We're not looking for venture capital investment right now. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've gotten those emails, but we just want to build something awesome and give it to the world right now and see what people do with it. Great. So let's talk about the Redwood JS community. So you mentioned that, you know, during COVID, it allowed for a few people to be online, but it's more than a few people. It is like a full force community. <laughs> so let's kind of unpack that. Also, it's kind of interesting because, you know, talking about like collaborative community, you can also talk about it from like the aspect of like keeping Netlify in the loop, keeping everyone in the loop, keeping contributors in the loop, that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, tell us more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So our community is not just the one you see public at large, but we talk to the Netlify crew, you know, founders included. We talk to the Vercel crew, and which are all wonderful, and Prisma. So it's fun to get to be in the center. And I've been doing these things for a long time, but to be at some kind of central point in an ecosystem that's forming has been really exciting. And there's community happening at every level. And I think that's a really exciting thing about open source. It's not just the external, it's the internal. And as I mentioned too, there's other startups that have been in existence and they want to help out and they've jumped in as well. That's been a blast and it's a joy because I tell you what, the thing that will last and a lot of people could tell these stories from any project you do, especially in open source, is 10 years down the road, I'm not sure how things are going to sort out. I'm not sure if it'll be Redwood or something that evolved from Redwood or, or Prisma or something that evolved from Prisma. But what I do know is that these relationships will all carry forward. And that's a really exciting reason to be a part of open source. But we started out with a vision for what we wanted the community to be like, feel like, we love building things with other people. That's everyone that was on the core team. And also, we just had an intuitive feel for what that needed to be like. I myself have spent a lot of time thinking, learning about teams and team performance. And, and it all boils down to this. If you trust the people you're collaborating with, if you communicate well with them, you take more risks and those risks end up leading you to better solutions. And because you can take risks, you're also willing to let mistakes get made. That's a part of risk-taking. But you, you trust the people on your team to have your back and also not ruin you if a mistake <laughs> happens, right? So those are the ingredients you need to have a team. So, And then you're happy, right? Like everybody has teams they've experienced like that, that they just love being a part of. So that's what we wanted to take to the world. And we just had to be really intentional at the start of giving people permission an invitation to come be a part of the thing. It, it turns mm -hmm. out it's really hard to hang out with people you've never met and yeah. <laughs> you need to be really, right? And it's awkward, especially when it comes to submitting it. We've had so many people submit their first PR ever for open source to Redwood. And it's a nerve wracking experience because you don't, you don't want to screw up. And, and it's like, I have eight-year-old twin daughters and most of their life engaging with their peers is, I just want them to like me. And it turns out that carries on to adulthood you really just, at the end of the day, you want people to like you. And so right. you don't want to yeah. do something wrong. And that's the experience we all have. So we wanted to make sure the invitation was out there. We welcome you to be a part of this project and contribute, not just code, but docs, not just docs, but support. And we wanted to set a culture and instill and, and cultivate the right values and behavior. And we just started with generosity and gratitude. We knew that had to lead the way because that would plant the seeds of all the things we wanted. So that means we help people on our community forums and in our chat a ton. You'll see core team members spend an hour doing diagnosis on problems with Redwood. You'll see a team gather around someone building a new product on Redwood that otherwise would be a solo founder, but gets to the end of the product and launches. This is Danny's story at tape.sh, which is a wonderful screen recording app. 
He built it all by himself because it's a GraphQL API. It's got a CLI client. It's got an Electron. It's got a web app. It runs Next.js for some screen sharing. And Danny, he built it all himself, but he would never tell you he did it alone. And that's because of the community that we have. So it boils down to this. Our mantra is we help each other be successful with Redwood so that Redwood will be successful. And then we just distill that down into everyday behavior and things we do. So we are running some challenges, right? Like building a community is hard, but the size and the scale of the community, like it just, it's growing and it's been amazing to see. And we have all kinds of people from just out of boot camp or in boot camp devs that are part of the core and the inner, inner group and people that have been, you know, decades developer experience that are part of it. And everybody's at the end of the day, having some level of fun being a part of this community. So I said a lot of words there, but no, I could say more because you know what? We love the people that are a part of this project and that will be. And again, we put a ton of time into making sure that it's an enjoyable place to be on the internet, which is harder than it sounds some days, right? Internets can be a very unfriendly place. <laughs> right. So we talked you know, a little bit about in December, you tweeted out that you had 150 contributors, and now it's probably closer to 160. In a pretty short time, You know, that's very impressive. And I was doing some research before this podcast, and there's you know meetups and forums, and you're pretty active in all of them. And I think that's been like a huge part of you know growing that yeah. community. Was that like intentional that you know you're going to spend you know all this time in meetups, or was it kind of like built along the way? It was built along the way, but once we kicked it off and people were talking about Redwood, and we'd reach out to them and say, "Hey, are you excited about it? Like, how can we help you dive in if you want to?" And then we had this initial group of people and we thought we need to hang out with them and we're not going to be able to do that in person because this whole global pandemic, but let's run a virtual meetup. And now we run, well, in 2021, we're going to have two contributor group meetups a month and two mm-hmm. Redwood JS meetups a month. And the reason we do that is because people love it. And mm-hmm. when we find someone that's a little bit excited about Redwood, invite them. So community at large. And just say, hey, how can we help you get plugged in? Because we'd love to. Do you want to get plugged in? Like, how can we make that work? They do. And maybe it's they start helping people on the forums or in our chat, or they jump in on GitHub issues. And then we say, oh, you're excited about Redwood? Would you like to come to our contributors group meetups? And that's a loosely held invite only. We want to keep it a little bit of a smaller group. Mm-hmm. But it's about 15 people twice a month that get together, that get to know each other and talk about the things they like about Redwood and want to help out with. And then you know what happens when you hang out with those people and say, like, we'd love to have your help. They help. help. Yeah. Because they're like, really? I could help you? Like, I would love to. You guys seem all friendly, nice people. Like, let's do this. And then they jump in and it just, so you get this wonderful feedback loop of is the people that are, it's like, it's painful to run all those and organize. And it's me. I'm organizing all those. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to manually, I got to send 20 invites this week. Like, uh. And then they show up and like, oh, you guys are amazing. This is so much fun. And then they jump in on the GitHub issues next week. And I'm like, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to invite yeah. people back. And so that's the experience of everyone on the team. And I, I do want to talk about, here's what's missing. These things tend to grow organically, which means it's about relationships, which is a good thing until it's not. My network turns out to be highly North American white males. Because guess what? I'm a North American white male. And I know a lot of people in elementary school because my kids are in elementary school, right? So, mm-hmm. right? But that's mm-hmm. my network and the people that I know. So we have people who say, this is the most exciting, welcoming, inclusive community I've ever experienced. But if from the outside looking in, it doesn't look that way yet. 
And it's because there's just something not working in the world of technology because it's a global thing too, like access For to sure. have time, access mm-hmm. to have the right time zone, mm-hmm. right? To do these things. Those things are all barriers that we're figuring out how to overcome, but we just need to spend more time and we are. And I've been very intentionally reaching out and creating relationships that don't exist and wouldn't happen unless we're intentional about it. And then making sure we invite people in that mm-hmm. might not be representing the group already to get that kind of diversity we want. Because it turns out things are better when there's people from all over and all kinds of people that participate. And we've laid the foundation culturally, that mm-hmm. I know. But, oh man, it didn't happen naturally. We thought it would, but that's been hard. And I think that's true to open source at large. So, and Kate, I'm sure you could tell some more stories of your experience in that world too. And and honestly, I should have left some time to hear those stories because that's the other thing I need to do is we're just trying to listen really well to understand, right? Yeah. It really starts with like conscious decisions every day. And sounds like, you know, Redwood's really putting that as a priority. Yeah. And then the right ones and learning and being willing to make mistakes. Again, people don't like to do that, but it turns out I'm getting more comfortable with that. Yeah. So <laughs> we're, we're out there and hopefully the same generosity and gratitude that we're extending, right? Hopefully that's reciprocal because, oh my, I know there's times when I've needed it as well and I've received it. So thank you to those people. Okay. So David, what are you excited about in web development, maybe outside of you know Redwood JS? Ooh. So a theme I've brought up several times here, Tom's words, Tom Preston Warner, this idea of a universal deployment machine. And I've been an entrepreneur for a while and spent a lot of time building things. And we've come a long way in DevOps and infrastructure and methodology and all these things around continuous deployment. It turns out continuous deployment is the measure of things, right? If you can drive continuous deployment, then you drive a whole lot of other things in your product and your company, but we're really not there yet. And one of the surprises I had this last year with Redwood and being edge ready, so serverless deploy out of the box, is how quickly we hit some limitations in that infrastructure. And there's some awesome things in serverless, but you run into the same problem that we did with Redwood, which is integration and configuration. So, okay, we're not there yet, but I think there is a future coming and I've seen it. I've actually seen some of these demos, but it's the like crazy research software world. But there's a future coming where Everything that we think of now is a separate entity of DevOps and infrastructure, which is distinct from the code and the application we write. Mm -hmm. That gap, the distance between those two things is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller until they touch and until they get integrated into one thing. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be next year or three years, maybe five years, but somewhere in the next five to 10 years, the way you think about infrastructure and DevOps is going to fundamentally change. I believe. And it will all be in code and in your IDE and the ways you'll get to think about the performance of your application will be just a part of the code itself. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that gets me excited. So that'll be fun. And it's, that's not Redwood. Redwood yeah. is pushing into that boundary, but I think there's some exciting things beyond that hopefully Redwood evolves to absorb and take in. So Anyway, that gets me excited, but yeah. I, it's because I spent time dealing with those things and those problems, but sure. uh, that's something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. this I mean, I actually did a code bootcamp and it was like week one, day one, you know, you're kind of learning about like bundlers and, you know, Webpack and it's like, you just right. want to like make stuff, you know, kind of this goes back to what you right. talked about earlier is even just as a very beginner level, that's really interesting. So what if your experience of just getting to like make the thing and build the app? So Redwood, we, we'd really try to do that. 
we have these things called serverlesses, and that's where you write your your logic code, your business logic, and everything's integrated. So you have to think about it. But what if, like, even more and more, that feeling of I just want to like create the functionality, right. not have to worry about everything else. And how many apps have I created and just didn't want to do all the deploy stuff, so they just sat right, like right. everybody. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be fun. And, and what that leads to, because you drive that's really driving continuous deployment. You drive all these other opportunities and performance and, and opportunities for businesses, but both like what it takes to have the team and all that stuff kind of starts to change and shift. So you get new opportunities beyond that too. So yeah. we'll see. We're going to see it. So David, it's been great. You know, We may have to have you on for part two because we have so much more to talk about. You can tell I love talking about these things and I would love, yeah. <laughs> I would love to bring some friends. It turns out I've met a lot of really cool people and I would love to wrangle more than maybe one or more to come and join me if we did this again. That'd be great. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to tell you know, our listeners? Oh, I have things. So one thing that's coming in Redwood version one that I didn't mention yet will be logging. So built-in logging and handling so that you could plug in. So the built-in support for logging is coming in version one. And there's some opportunities for other people to jump in and, and make that even more extensible for certain services. So that's one thing. I am the David Price on the internet because there's a lot of David Prices. I am not the <laughs> wealthy <is>. <laughs> ones, nor the famous ones. I am just the David. Find me. Find me on the internet. And then lastly, and Kate, this is, this is the most important thing. We will send you Redwood stickers anywhere in the world, free of charge. So you're welcome wow. to try us. Redwoodjs.com forward slash stickers, because who doesn't love stickers? Right. Go to the website, fill out the form. It is not a trap. We will not use your address for anything other than it ends up on a spreadsheet somewhere and then we will mail you stickers. It may take four weeks or so depending on where you live, <laughs> but we promise stickers will arrive in your mailbox sometime in the future and we'd love to send them your way. If you're missing all those uh, conference stickers that you get, come home with bags of them, you know, <laughs> and have your right? kids. <laughs> exactly. So Redwood JS, it's a beautiful little pine cone and uh, it can go wherever stickers go these days, you will have right. them in hand. <laughs> Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. It's been a pleasure. Oh, Kate, same here. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Kate. Really exciting. And uh, for anyone who wants to jump in and, and try out Redwood, start with the tutorial and jump into the community. We would love to say hi. Hey, it's Brian again. So it turns out that running a podcast is maybe harder than we thought. And so I kind of want to hear from you. I'm genuinely interested in your feedback. We have to think about new topics, new guests. We have to find them. And don't get me wrong, we can do it, but it's a lot easier if everyone else who's listening helps. So if you'd like to suggest a topic or volunteer to be on Pod Rocket, we'd like to hear from you. So you can do that by going to podrocket.logrocket.com slash contact hyphen us. The hyphen is next to the delete key if you're curious. If all of that is too long, you can just email me directly, brian at logrocket.com. That'd be great. Also, if you're feeling magnanimous, be sure to like and subscribe to Pod Rocket. Thank you. Mm-hmm.